0: all right welcome to the state of the lakers podcast happy wednesday everybody as raj and i were just saying uh the lakers somehow built their whole team in like two days Uh, that was a pretty wild uh sequence of events raj
1: how you doing on this wednesday morning how's your week going so far doing great doing great a busy weekend um went to like a musical festival got burned um it's weird i don't know about before we get to basketball do you get sunburn easily? Because like when I get sunburn, it doesn't hurt though, and I feel like most people they tell me when they get sunburned it hurts. But like I got kind of burned on my face, um, but I didn't really feel it. Um, I was gonna ask you, do you get sunburned pretty easily? <laughs> well, for us white folk, there are there are two <laughs> different
0: types of of skin. There are the ones that tan and the ones that burn. I'm lucky; mm. I tan, um, okay. but I would say that I'm probably too tan to the point where I get <laughs> even made fun of by a lot of my friends. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky, but for, for most of us, it can be, it can be (laughs) trouble.
1: Um,
0: so really quickly before we get started, I wanted to vent about something for just a second. Um, because you and I are going to be overwhelmingly positive today because, because the Lakers had a great offseason and they've had they've I agree with the vast majority of the signings they made and I think they're going to be really good and we have lots of reasons to be very positive Um, however there are going to be a handful of things today that I'm going to tell you that I disagree with or that I would have done differently and uh, for some reason that has become such a big fat hairy deal on on Twitter in the last couple of days which is insane to me because like I feel like you and I have always done this we're objective observers we're not we're not yes men Uh, you know, our willingness to criticize when we disagree with something is what makes it meaningful when we tell you that we like a free agent signing or that we like the way a player is playing in in his specific role. You know, we give ourselves credibility by doing that. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're a yes man and you go and say yes again, then everyone around you is going to dismiss it out of hand because they, they know what you're doing. You know what I mean? And so today when you and I are occasionally being negative, it doesn't mean we're being haters. It just means we're being honest. Uh, so that's one thing I wanted to to frame everything with. But that said, uh, overall, just overarching, I thought it was a really good couple of days for the Lakers. Um, I still think they need, like, one more forward. We'll talk more about that. And I didn't love the Alex Caruso thing, which we'll dive into in a little bit. But overall, I thought it was a great couple of days. How are you feeling kind of uh, looking from the uh, 30,000
1: feet? Yeah, the didn't love the Alex Crusoe thing felt like an actual moment in like history, right? It felt like the whole world kind of just stopped once he signed with the Chicago Bulls. It felt like um, Twitter kind of just shut down. I was in this kind of same vein. Just looking at the roster, I mean, I feel like they, that was their backup plan. Get a bunch of guards that can kind of shoot off the dribble, can kind of create. That's like my world kind of like outside view of this. A lot of guards with a lot of, a lot of handle that can shoot, take it to the basket. Um, Can get hot, can really kind of play make, can dribble. Um, That's really what they've kind of done. I want to ask you this because this is kind of interesting to me. I always said that I didn't really believe Anthony Davis when he said he would play the five more. But you look at this roster, it's 36 year old Marcus Saul and it's 35 year old Dwight Howard. He's one of the, he's in his mid 30s at least. So that's basically your two centers on the roster with Anthony Davis. Everyone else is a forward. I mean, Carmelo can play the four. It's probably a four in this situation. I don't think Melo's a five. So that's the interesting thing to me. It's like they've really built this kind of around um, the idea because he's going to have to play more five. I don't see Dwight and Mark kind of taking the full center rotation in the regular season. Um, Those were kind of my big views. What else did you kind of see from the roster makeup as a whole? I guess before we kind of break this down in individual parts, Um, what do you see as like the ethos of this roster? So let's talk about the the total
0: identity change that the Lakers have undergone in the last couple of years. Because uh, there are two primary uh, identity changes that I believe they underwent. First of all, it's very clear that AD is going to play at least half of his minutes at the five. Uh, Otherwise, they would have devoted more resources to... Uh, bigger, bruising, rebounding type of forwards that can play small ball five and things along those lines. They would have kept Markeith Morris probably if they intended to play AD at the four a lot. So it's, it's very clear that AD fully intends to play at least half of his minutes at the five, which is very good. If we, we, if we remember in the championship season, he played about 40% of his minutes at the five. Uh, and then last season, he only played about 10% of his minutes at the five. So they clearly are planning on shifting back to that. Um, the other big identity change that I noticed, as I felt, uh, and you and I talked a lot about this right after the Sun series, I thought the Lakers were a little too heavy on 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 really simplified offensive role players, guys who could hit an open shot occasionally and maybe rip through and get to the rim, but that was about it. Like their best closeout guy was probably KCP. And like you said, like he could do that one dribble pull up, he could hit an open three and he could get all the way to the rim, but there wasn't really a whole lot else. While the Phoenix Suns had all these guys like Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges and, and campaign, these guys that could make these really complex reads out of closeouts. Like they could rip through to the right, do a counter move, you know, hit a 10 foot, you know, leaning, fading shot floaters, all this, this, these, these, this more intricate shot making from the role players. Well, it seems like the Lakers very clearly addressed that need in this offseason because guys like Malik Monk, guys like Kendrick Nunn, these are guys that are capable of far more complex uh, 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 read and react type of closeout attacking. And when you've got guys like Russ... And LeBron and AD, they're going to put so much pressure on the rim and draw so much attention. Having guys that can do that more complex decision-making is a huge advantage. And we saw that with Devin Booker and Chris Paul drawing attention and the Suns' young role players making reads off of that. And so I think that the, the Lakers clearly shifted their identity in that direction on both of those fronts. And, and I actually like the idea. And, and I, I believe that uh, the ceiling of this team is considerably higher than it was in the last couple of
1: years. What about you? Yeah, for sure. And I think they really just uh, it's just like switch from defense to offense. Right. These these kind of role players that are really defensive minded. Um, Alex, Alex Caruso being the kind of main one of this. And they went towards this like, no, we're going to score a bunch of points. You know, the second unit's going to come in, have a lot of firepower. Watching Kendrick Nunn, he's a really explosive guard. Like, we didn't really even have that last year. Dennis Schroeder, I, I was kind of saying that, like, we lost, We only had, like, one guy who could dribble as a guard last year uh, and kind of shoot off the dribble, and that's Dennis Schroeder. And still, he doesn't get the kind of separation that you kind of need. You saw it in the playoffs. Kendrick Nunn is a guy that explodes off pick and rolls. Malik Monk comes off and can fire from three very easily, has a quick release. Um, it's kind of hard to get to. So those are the kind of interesting things that they've, uh, they've kind of done with this. One guy that's kind of getting hidden because he got on the first he went on the first day was Wayne Ellington. I love the Wayne Ellington sighting. A guy who can shoot off the move. He's not Buddy heeled obviously. He's kind of like a Buddy Healed light as as a shooter. Um, he's not as dynamic as a playmaker and all that, but he can really shoot off the move, come off screens. Um, I'm excited to see that kind of wrinkle in the offense. We haven't really had a guy that could run like from the paint outside off a screen and shoot. So those are kind of interesting things to me. Um, and the the non-LeBron minutes are so interesting and fascinating to me because you also have Carmelo Anthony on this team and I totally get he's 37 I totally get he's adjusted his game in Portland I totally get he stood in the corner and took a bunch of threes still Carmelo freaking Anthony like that's that's a guy on this team um so I'm so interested to see how that will work I guess him and AD kind of play four and five backup like how do you think that kind of bench unit works there what what kind of kind of lineups do you think they kind of go with because I'm that's what I'm fascinated with is it Russell Westbrook mellow and ad manning second units like what what, how does how does how do you think this kind of shapes out
0: so there are a million different directions this thing can go and i think that's Mm. the most exciting part there's a versatility particularly on the offensive end with this team that never existed over the last couple of years you know uh carmelo anthony uh is you know he he diminished his role in the last couple of seasons as a spot-up shooter and kind of a stretch mm-hmm. for type of deal. Uh, but, you know, he still is actually super adept at attacking mismatches, um, particularly against smaller players in the post. And so I think he's capable of a little bit more than people realize. I think that whether or not he ends up being that big of a, uh, of a contributor is going to come down to what he does defensively in Frank's system. Um, but he's going to be asked to do more defensively than he has in the last, probably in his entire career. Uh, he'll be asked to do more defensively this year in terms terms of what is expected from him from the coaching staff Um, because even when he was in his physical athletic prime you know he kind of coasted on that end to devote his energy on the offensive end Uh, but just in general there are so many different directions they can go they can go you know uh, they can go really athletic with lineups like you know Russ and Kent Bazemore and LeBron AD and uh, uh uh or they can go really heavy on shot making and go with lineups like Malik Monk and and Wayne Ellington next to you know LeBron at the 4 and Dwight Howard at the at the 5 and run screen and roll and have all the shooting on the floor. They have all these different directions that they can go and honestly like we we need to marinate on this for for months to really kind of yeah. come to to grips with all of the different options that they have. What I would like to do if it's okay with you is just kind of go down the list player by player and just talk about what excites us the most about them. Um, sure. So from from that standpoint, let's talk about uh, let's let's start with Malik Monk because I think he's the one that has everybody the most excited uh, over the last couple of days. Malik Monk to me, you had mentioned uh, Wayne Ellington is kind of like a poor man's Buddy healed. I kind of think of Malik Monk as the poor man's buddy Hilt, Uh for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think he'll get more minutes than Ellington. And two, uh, uh, Malik Monk is just better off the dribble. Ah, uh, he's better at creating things. Uh, you yeah. know when things break. You know when when he has to break down the defense rather than when he's waiting on someone else to break down the defense. The way that Wayne Ellington will need to, for the most part, a lot of the stuff we talked about with Anthony Davis off ball and having Buddy Heald setting down screens, having Buddy Heald fly off a of pin downs, having Buddy Heald use a screen and roll and force the defender to go over the top. Malik Monk accomplishes a lot of that. Uh, he's underrated as a passer. He got off to a rough start in his career as a shooter, but his three-point shot has come along in the last season. Uh, I'm really excited about Malik Monk as a player that can be kind of what
1: we wanted Buddy Heald to be. Uh, What did you think of the Malik Monk acquisition? Yeah, I love it. I also love, like, it's a push towards a little bit younger as well. I think he's, what, 23 years old, I believe, Malik Monk. Getting him for the minimum is kind of crazy. Those guys don't come for the minimum you what a top he's like the 11th pick in a couple drafts ago um yeah I, I love his game uh, I love that he can kind of come off the dribble he's a guy that can get hot very easily right he's a guy that's streaky like if he hits one three um he'll kind of pull up and take a couple more he's nicely sized as well just a lot of athleticism um I love the like explosiveness of him THT none all those guys are really fast and really power throw it down on you um yeah it's just like a this team is really big, really old, kind of in the front court, right? Other than A D, it's kind of Ariza, um, all these other guys a little bit in their thirties. I like that the guards are pretty young. So I haven't watched too much Malik Monk. I, I watched some um, like his tape um yesterday. Um just a really fun player, it looks like. And um yeah, getting him on the minimum is is kind of it's kind of crazy.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. The if you're if you're looking at uh uh the the biggest weakness in what Rob put together, it's in my opinion, front court depth and age. Um, I'd like to see one more forward in there, preferably one that's a little more athletic um, uh, just because of what you're going to be asking from, from the way I look at it is like, imagine a back-to-back in Utah and Denver and you have like just an absolute crazy game in Denver that goes, you know, where LeBron is play 42 minutes and Trevor Ariza plays 40 minutes and Carmelo plays 34 minutes or whatever it is, you know, you're asking those old forwards to play again the next night in Utah. You know, you'd like to have a little bit more depth there for that specific need. Um, but again, we're kind of nitpicking here because every team yeah. has flaws, and I really like what they put together. Um, anyway, let's move on to, to Kendrick Nunn. So Kendrick Nunn is an interesting case because, you know, w- one of the first things I do – when the Lakers sign anybody is I reach out to somebody that I'm friendly with on Twitter. Who's a fan of that team that he was previously on. And I ask them for mm. their honest opinion. And so I talked to a couple of heat fans yesterday. And the big thing that stood out to me was uh, uh, um, they said that he's a little bit frustrating from time to time, but that overall he was one of their most talented offensive players. And it shows in the numbers. He scored at a rate of yeah. 18 points per 36 minutes last year. Incredibly efficient. He had a 60% true shooting percentage. Like for a guard to have that type of efficiency in the NBA right now, you're in a rare class there. Uh, now he's doing it on lower volume than those top tier guys. Uh, but that just goes to show you that higher end shot making, that higher end offensive ability to react to what kind of attention LeBron and AD are drawing that's the kind of exciting stuff that Kendrick Nunn brings to the table you brought up that he's explosive off the dribble that's another big one he's more he's built well he's built like a tank he's got a lot going for him physically and adds a different element to that backcourt that we haven't had offensively in the last couple of years and that's something that I think is really exciting
1: are you excited about Kendrick Nunn as well Oh, yeah, and he kind of fits the, like, Russell Westbrook style of play. He's obviously not as good as Russell Westbrook, but he's another guy that kind of goes through you, right, with his athleticism. Um, he can pull up from three. He's very comfortable with that. He takes long threes, too, like, even on his spot-ups. He, he's comfortable pulling from long. But, yeah, like, I love how he goes through guys, really athletic. Just a different type of guard than we have, than we've had. You know, Dennis Schroeder's and. Is it like quick point guard? But well, he's not like athletic. He's not going to go through. He's not going to jump over you. Kendrick Dunn. If you give him a lane, he'll dunk on you. Like that's the type of guard he is. Very similar to Westbrook. Um, I think that's a perfect guy for him to learn from, just how to get to the rim, um, how to attack, and stuff like that. So um, I'm, I'm I'm really excited for him as well. I've again, like I remember, he had like a, he had a good finals against us. If I remember the finals correctly, he had like a pretty good game one or game two. A guy that we had we had trouble stopping. Um so yeah again I, I another young guy i think he's 26 a little bit older than i thought but uh, but still just again a guy in his mid 20s i think it's good to have those guys mixed in uh with the vets and our guards and the really quick really quick really fast um explosive guards that we had that, that we've signed he's got a good arsenal
0: of little floaters and mid-range shots too uh that i think gives him that versatility and punch offensively He's your textbook late bloomer type of guard who ended up going Mm -hmm. to a small school and was an alpha dog, Um, and you know that kind of that kind of guy is the kind of guy that you know uh, NBA teams typically stay away from because they they view him as guys that succeed on bad teams that type of vibe. Um, Mm -hmm. But the truth is is like that alpha dog mentality is what has turned him into such a confident offensive player in the NBA. Like, and again, I'm going to hammer this home a lot uh, over the next few weeks, but it's not easy to be that efficient as a guard scorer. And that is something that right. I'm, I'm really excited to see if it translates in this specific offensive system. Um, okay, so next let's talk about Kent Bazemore. So I reached out to some uh, people that I trust to follow the Warriors, and they basically said that, the, uh, uh, that he was asked to do too much in their system. That, that was the primary, uh, uh, you know, reasoning behind some of his struggles. Because he did have, uh, you know, a season that was full of ups and downs. And, you know, from a distance, from our perspective, we watched them complain and we watched him struggle. And we we're very quickly, we're very, we're very quick to just be like, oh, Ken Bazemore sucks or Ken Bazemore had a rough season. Well, the people within the Warriors fan base who were watching objectively would tell you that he was asked to do too much. He was, he was basically their second best perimeter initiator that's that's a lot to ask for a player with his specific talent the the big huge glaring positive with golden state was he shot the seams off the basketball i tweeted it out after he signed he was 46 percent on wide open threes that's something you know the warriors fans will tell you that he's likely to come back to earth in that regard however If there is some sort of hot streak that he's on, he's going to continue to get very good shot quality on this team. Uh, They said that he was good at ball pressure. He was good at the point of attack, but that he could be handsy sometimes, commit commit some silly fouls, get a little bit out of control. Um, But that in general, they liked the pickup for the Lakers. And, you know, that was kind of my initial thought as well. And it felt good to hear that from Warriors fans as well. What was your take on the Bazemore pickup?
1: So Bazemore, he's another one of those guys that's a returning Laker, right? You've seen the the memes and jokes that um, we've kind of only hired. We're only getting guys who are returning Lakers. He's a guy I wanted them to keep back then. Uh, Back then, obviously, the Lakers were terrible. Um, They were in the beginning of the rebuild, I think, and uh, he left to the Hawks where he signed. He's one of those guys that kind of went through this he was underrated then overrated then underrated again i feel like uh, he went to the hawks for like the minimum and then they paid him i think four years 80 or something like that to be their starting two guard on a team that was winning 60 you know 60 games a year um i, I like the camp basemore signing he's a like traditional three and d um i'm not sure if he's as good a shooter as he showed last year like as that 46 percent. but he's a good shooter he's a Smart basketball player who knows like what he's doing, knows how to play on a winning team. I don't think he's that old either. I think he's like 32, if I remember right, for Ken Bazemore. Um, and can, he's probably our best, like other than Ariza, guy we can throw on wings. I think he's a good defender, um, smart defender. And yeah, the Warriors, uh, Warriors fans were obviously tough on a lot of players last year. Um, but I thought Bazemore was a good player, fit next to Steph. Um, I think he'll fit right next to LeBron too. So just another solid signing for for the Minimum.
0: I agree they went from, you know, they went from a obvious lack of guard depth after the Westbrook trade Westbrook trade that concerned people because we yeah. knew we knew only the veteran minimum was available and we just were concerned about whether or not they'd be able to put together some decent depth at the guard position and you know routinely in LeBron's career and this is something that is a testament to uh you know the reputation he's built amongst his peers. But consistently in LeBron's career, he's been able to convince players to take discounts to come play with him. And uh, uh, because of the fact that they know they're going to get good shots and they they know they're going to have a chance to compete for a championship and all that good stuff. And I'm, I'm sure the Laker brand also plays a significant role. But one, it, the ability to get Kendrick Nunn, Bazemore and uh, 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 Malik Monk and every one of those guys could have made more elsewhere. Kendrick mm-hmm. Nunn had a deal bigger than the, the uh, mid-level exception offered to him by the Knicks that he turned down. Baysmore had more, more years, more money from the Warriors that he turned down. And we all know Malik Monk probably could have got a mid-level exception somewhere out there. So very clearly, you know, the, uh, the Lakers were able to take advantage of their, their – the perks of, of, of being the Lakers and parlay that into guard depth that they desperately needed. And so that, that was exciting. Um, So the next guy that I wanted to talk about was Trevor Ariza because he's a really interesting case because he's your textbook like uh, outside of Lakers Twitter. There's a lot of pessimism like uh, about that that pick like, haha they had to settle for Trevor Ariza. They're old. Trevor Ariza's washed. He hasn't mattered in two years, blah, 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 blah. So again, I reached out to some Miami Heat uh, people that that were uh, uh, watching him last year and they said, look, he didn't shoot particularly well. But he's still every bit as good defensively as he's been in the last few years. They said he was the one that they would stick on all the big, tough defensive matchups. Then Tim Kranges from uh, um, uh, from uh, I can't remember the name of his site all of a sudden at uh, the second. But uh, anyway, uh, Kranges came out with his uh, statistical model of his uh uh, perimeter defense, and he was one of the best perimeter defensive players in the league last year. And I remember him most vividly in 2018 doing such an incredible job on Kevin Durant in the Western Conference Finals. And I hadn't watched too much of him in the year since, mainly because he had been on mainly irrelevant teams. Uh, but I- I'm really excited about Trevor Ariza. He's a wing defender that the Lakers haven't had in the last couple of years. And for the most part, what I think about is half court NBA playoff basketball. You know, against a team like Phoenix, against a team like the Clippers, against a team like the Warriors, and having your front court be Trevor, Ariza, LeBron, and Anthony Davis. To me, that's very exciting. Yeah. That the prospect of that level of athleticism and length and savvy, veteran savvy defensive ability from those guys. And then when you couple that with Anthony Davis, full bore, full health, it's, it's really exciting to me. So I actually really liked the Ariza pickup. I would have preferred him. As a bench, uh, a guy, I would have preferred somebody younger in front of him, but I actually think he might end up starting. Uh, But either way, regardless of what his role is, I really liked the pickup. What did you think about Ariza?
1: Yeah, I like him, too. It's funny. He kind of has the uh, in 08. He helped the Lakers kind of win the 09. Sorry, he helped the Lakers win the title and then he left uh for kind of for money reasons and uh, the fan base was kind of upset it's very eerily similar to how caruso kind of walked very similar to that um similar type of player um he wasn't a good shooter when he was younger but he's really made himself into like a really nice spot up shooter um that's the kind of shots he will get here i I don't know if he'll play big minutes uh he might start but i mean at 36 or whatever he is i don't think they want to have him you know in the 25 30 minute range but yeah just another smart player another dude who's been on a bunch of winning teams um that Houston team just let him walk, which I thought was a mistake. When at the time it happened, I think he went to Sacramento for some. Uh, yeah, I think he went to like the Kings or something. And obviously, Sacramento was irrelevant at the time. Um, but uh, but yeah, like I, I love his game. I, I've always have. I, I wish he was back here at a little younger age. Um, but uh, <laughs> but even at this age, um, he's still like you said, a really great perimeter defender. And he's gonna get wide open shots here. And he's been a knockdown three point shooter for a long time. Um, he's been a spot-up shooter for the last few years as well, next to James Harden, um, especially on those Rocket teams. So I'm excited about him as well. I worry about his age and all that and his durability at that age, being a wing defender on this team. But in front of AD, I'm interested to see how Vogel kind of puts the scheme out. They were very you know, heavy in terms of ball pressure last year. I don't think it will be that this year. I think it will be more physical, a little bit more switching, maybe a little more drop-back defense. But, yeah, is a smart dude, and uh, he's a good player on the, on the minimum.
0: Yeah, you know it'll be really it, that that part you just brought up about the defense is super interesting. It'll be, I would imagine, in training camp he's going to gauge the guard core. That's going to yeah. be the key because you know there's actually they actually added quite a bit of athleticism in in the guard core. When you think about Russell Westbrook, Kent Bazemore, Malik Monk, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Kendrick Nunn, like there's quite a bit of shifty athleticism and strength. Uh, they can they can throw out lineups like. None and Westbrook next to each other. Like you've got two stocky six, three guards there that, that are going to be difficult to bully physically and that are very athletic. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, I'm with you. It'll be a question of whether or not they're capable of applying the level of ball pressure that guys like KCP and Dennis Schroeder were able to, uh, but it'll, it'll be interesting to see, but we know Frank, like Frank's going to adjust. He's going to figure out what works with that guard core and, and build everything around that. They yeah. do have a switchier set of forwards than they've ever had. Uh, that's going to be the most exciting part. Is that idea that you can throw out a you could throw out a lineup of Westbrook, baysmore Ariza, LeBron, AD, and or let's say they bring in West Matthews, which is something we're going to talk about later. He's a guy I'd like mm-hmm. to see them add as just like a low like a low ceiling, high floor type of option to throw out there as a fifth man, but. Lineups like that, where every player has some girth to them, you know, some strength, and none of them are are easy to physically bully, and they can kind of switch everything. So I'm I'm excited to kind of see what they build around there. But just in general with Ariza, and one last note on Ariza with his shooting, you know, you and I talked a lot about how Russell Westbrook. Even if he went out next year and shot 40% in the first month of the season, teams still aren't going to guard him because just there's a huge difference between three point percentage and three point gravity. Three point gravity more yeah. has to do with how scared teams are of you. And it really takes a large sample size of doing something different for you to start uh, adjusting your 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 strategy with something like that uh trevor ariza even if he shoots 35 again from three next year teams are gonna at least guard him you know what i mean there's a, a at the very least if you're guarding trevor ariza you're scared that he's gonna make you pay if you leave him open so I, I do like i do like his fit in terms of the natural spacing of everything um so i guess let's see is the i guess the last guy that we should touch on is mellow uh, because i don't i don't think ellington's gonna play all that much uh and then you know the centers mark and dwight you and i have talked about at length over the last two years yeah. so you know i'll let you start on this one are you are you expecting
1: mellow to play that much of a role this year uh, yeah that's so tough like i understand carmelo's here on a minimum but he played for portland it's it's not like he was an end-of-the-bench guy on Portland. He played, I don't know if, how much he started. I really don't remember. I think he did start a few games. But um, he was a big part of the rotation. Um, he was the four on that team. Um, I still like him as a shot creator for the second unit. I, he's 37, though, so like, can he defend well enough to play? That Those are the questions to me. Um, I think Frank Vogel does have a—he like. He does like to play his vets, does like to play the vets. We saw Rondo play a bunch um, in the regular season, even though he was bad um, that first year. I see similar things with Carmelo. Um, I reached out to my Portland Trailblazer friend, and I was like, "Hey, like, what do you think of uh, Carmelo uh, on the Lakers?" And he's like, uh, "Carmelo, uh, he can be frustrating at times because he's gonna, you know, I wouldn't say hijack the offense, but I mean, when you have Carmelo Anthony, you give him the ball. That possession is his. Like, that's just just what happens when you give Carmelo the ball in the post. That possession is his now. Like, he's I'm gonna bully ball my way into the post. I'm gonna take a mid range fadeaway jumper." You know, if it goes in, I'm gonna, you know, talk my shit. Or if it doesn't go in, I'm just gonna run the <laughs> other way. But, but, uh, but yeah, that's that's the kind of thing with Carmelo Anthony. Is the talent's there, obviously, and him and LeBron wanted to play together. I think that's a big part of this. I do see him buying in. Um, I think this is a maybe his first like championship kind of chance. You know, in a long time, maybe since those Denver teams. Um, I don't think those Knicks teams were really close to a title, and those Portland teams are are what they are. So. I can see him buying, him buying him as well. But, yeah, that, he's the most like question mark to me in terms of minutes, um, him and, and THT, I guess, if, if you want to touch on him. But, like, Carmelo's minutes are the ones I'm most interested to see how that goes. Is he just a spot kind of play here and there? I see him fully in the rotation, though. I don't know about you. Like, I think he's not, he's not going to come here and stay on the bench for a bunch of games. So What about you? What do you think about uh, Carmelo?
0: So, I think the easiest way to contextualize Carmelo Anthony's fit, minutes, role, you know, what they ask him to do, whatever you want to call it, is just an upgrade of Marquise Morris. If you remember, like, if I asked you to describe what Marquise Morris mm-hmm. was to the Lakers, you would say he was a spot up shooter, and they would occasionally, especially late in the season, try to go to him on, in the post because they lacked mm-hmm. offensive creation without LeBron and AD. So, they'd feed him to try to score in the post. And then he was a below-average perimeter defensive player who was below-average in rotations, but he was good as a post-up defender. That was what we remember about Markeef. Well, that's pretty much exactly what they're going to need from Carmelo. Like, Carmelo is going to be a below-average perimeter defensive player. He's going to be below-average a- below covering ground in rotations, but he's going to be above-average as a post-up defender. Teams aren't, teams aren't going to be able to physically dominate him underneath the basket and then he's going to be a guy who's going to be a spot-up shooter at a higher level than Markeith, and he's going to be a guy you can throw it to the post against inferior defenders and you're going to get more out of him than you did out of Marquief so j- just simply that's that's how I see the role shaking out as far as minutes go if you think about it as like a there's kind of two ways to look at it there's the depth chart approach which is if AD's your 5 and LeBron's your 4 and you can get them to do uh, you know, f- 32 minutes a night, you know, if you're trying to keep their minutes down because of age, that means there's 16 minutes there for Dwight at the center position. And there's 16 minutes there for Melo at the four. Uh, and then when you factor in load management and things along those lines during the season, there will be even more minutes available for Marcus Saul or for Dwight to play more or for Carmelo Anthony to, to play more. So uh, from that perspective, like that's how I look at it. From the, uh, as far as his role goes, it, like whether or not LeBron's willing to play more three and to have Melo play more four, that's all about fit and whether or not Melo really pans out as a defensive player. Look, if Melo comes in and he shoots forty three percent from three and is killing it on the block and defending pretty well, then. Yeah, you're going to shift up and play LeBron at the threesome and and, and and put Carmelo at the floor. But again, this is about flexibility and, and versatility, and the Lakers have options uh, there in this regard. And so I, I, think, I think it's uh, something to be excited about.
1: I, I love the Marquise Marquis Morris kind of uh, fit, like comparison there. Um, but Carmelo was an excellent shooter last year too. He had, I think he shot 40% from three, 40% from the corners too. He's a guy also, like, when you compare him to Marquise Morris, teams double Carmelo Anthony still. Like, they send help. Like, even if the numbers say whatever they are, the spreadsheet basketball still says whatever, that that's a bad shot to, to you know, take. Teams still come and s- send doubles on Carmelo Anthony with Damian Lillard on the floor. Like, that, that's something that really happens in Portland. Um, so, it's funny. So, that's a, that's another wrinkle thing that I like. And Marquise Morris, another guy that likes to post up, take advantage of mismatches. I think Carmelo's a little bit better at that, too. Um, he's a guy who can create more help, uh, better passer, I think, than Marquise Morris as well. I- I'm really interested in those, like, mellow with the other star lineups. Like, I'm really fascinated by that. Mellow really, ha- I mean, yeah, Dame and CJ are what they are. But, it, like, the type of paint presence that, like, Ron AD could provide. I'm just curious how Mellow can kind of fit his way into that. I think you get Carmelo in a bunch of one-on-one matchups. I think that's favorable, even at his age. He's a guy that really knows how to score. He's a professional scorer, one of the best ever. Um, so that's where I'm interested to him, just that kind of interesting wrinkle to it. Um, that kind of talent is what it is, and I think the coaching staff will try to try to work with that. But yeah, I love the Marquis Morris kind of comparison there.
0: Yeah, well, and if you think about it, he like, uh, gives you a matchup attacking option at the end of your lineup. So if oh, you yeah. run a lineup that has AD at the five, Melo at the four, LeBron at the three, you know, THT at the two, and Russ at the one. Every single one of those guys can destroy a weak matchup. If you get THT on a skinny guard that can't really defend, he's just going to bully him all the way to the basket. Same goes for Russ. LeBron on a weaker wing. Carmelo Anthony on a weaker wing or a slow forward. And then Anthony Davis. That is a, a nightmare lineup for attacking mismatches and and that's like that's something that that could be really really exciting um so we got about 10 more minutes before you got to get out of here and we're going to dive even more into a lot of this stuff as the summer progresses um but i wanted to talk about caruso for a second so you know yeah first of all i think that uh there are two separate topics with this caruso thing there's the topic did the lakers need caruso Obviously not. That, that, that goes without saying. They're going to be fine without him. That, 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 that was, that, the negativity that I have about this topic isn't dedicated to the, my optimism about the Lakers as a whole. Okay. However, it's important to say that with respect to that roster spot, there was no reason to let Alex go except for money. It only had to do with the amount of money that Jeannie would have to pay. So in general, I don't, I don't, in general, I don't love the idea of protecting the wallet of a hundred millionaire or a billionaire. That's one of the the first opinions that I have about it. But secondly, there was the opportunity lost that comes with Alex Caruso's contract. So this summer you have added some legitimate assets that teams are going to want Malik Monk on a minimum contract. That's a great deal. Kendrick Nunn at $5.7 million a year or whatever, that's a great deal. But adding those salaries up is useless to amount to anything. However, if I've got Caruso at $9 million, and there's a player out there that I really want that's a $17 million salary, I can go, bam, you know, monk, nun, a Caruso for this guard that's out there, whoever it is. And I'm just providing an example. They, 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 and I, I'm not even saying they will make a trade this year. I'm just saying if you wanted that flexibility, having that intermediate salary in that $9 million range attached to a player like Caruso that teams want makes your minimum contracts more valuable because they can actually amount to more salary. The point being is that whether it's guard depth, or whether you think Alex Caruso should be in your closing lineup, or whether you want to use him as a trade piece, there were so many positives that come with Alex Caruso on the team and letting him slip purely as a result of counting Genie Buss' money, in my opinion, was a mistake. Uh, th- I, that was just how I felt about it. Doesn't mean I dislike the offseason. Doesn't mean I think the Lakers are going to suck. That was just one of my complaints from the last couple of days. What was your opinion on the Alex Caruso thing?
1: Okay. So like first, uh, well, I guess like it's no secret. I love Alex Caruso. Like you can type my Twitter name, Alex Caruso. You'll find a bunch of videos. You'll find a bunch of stats that, you know, people are like, you're, you know, you're kind of nitpicking stats, whatever, but there's no secret. I love Alex Caruso that I knew what he meant to this team. Um, I think this team went with the identity shift. They wanted on ball shot creation. Go look at what THC just got. Three years, $32 million for THT. However, you feel about THC, they obviously feel a way about them. My only wish issue with this, I'm not caping for Jeannie Bus. I have no reason to. You know, I don't know her personally at all. Like what they do. I think there's a difference between being cheap, right? Like, cause I see a lot, saw that word thrown a lot, a lot, thrown around a lot, pretty way too loosely. Calling the Lakers cheap. That's totally different than not wanting to, you know. Pay Alex Russo whatever it costs, fifty whatever in luxury tax. Those are two different things. Being cheap is not is trading James Harden before he hits his max player spot. Like that's that's being cheap to me. This is this is a little bit different. So that's the kind of like difference that I want to make with this. Like to me, logically, how I was kind of explain this. You don't make the trade for Russell Westbrook and then think you're going to be cheap, right? Like those things can't coincide to me. You can't trade for the second highest paid player in the game while also having two max guys, while also being a franchise that's going to be cheap on the margins. So when the Caruso thing happened, I said, yes, this is terrible, but I'm going to give them a little bit of a benefit of the doubt because it just makes no sense to me to go trade for a $43 million player, have three guys make $130 and then say we're going to be cheap around the margins. That makes zero sense. You could have just did the buddy heel trade, and then filled the roster out, you know, evenly, and you know, paid a little bit of luxury, whatever. They're still gonna have a huge tax bill. This is the highest tax bill in Lakers history. You know what I mean? So that's no, that's the only thing I don't like about this. I hate that Crusoe's gone. I think he built himself into a great player. He earned every penny of this new deal. The Lakers obviously didn't feel that, the, you know, they wanted to go in a different direction, and I don't like it. I can understand it, but I think the word "cheap" is the one that I have the most kind of issue with because, like, that doesn't make logic sense to me that they went and dealt for a guy making that much money and then you know call them cheap for this is that's the convenience part of me what do you what do you think about that
0: yeah i like i i don't think genie is being cheap like you said they have they're about to have a huge luxury tax bill um the thing that i always thought about it was just like you know so let's say first of all Blaming Alex Crusoe's salary for the big fat luxury tax bill is stupid because his salary is not the reason why there would be a giant luxury tax bill that that would be unfair to Alex. Uh, Secondly, you know, the 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 way I look at it, let's say you're you're you are paying Alex effectively 30 million or something because you're paying him nine and there's 21 million in luxury tax or something like that. Uh, Yeah, that's a lot of money, but you're in a two year window here where you're contending for the title. You can regroup financially because all these are one-year deals and THT's the only long-term deal they signed or or Kendrick Nunn and Kendrick Nunn's is a player option that he'll probably opt out of if he has a good season. So the thing is is like you've got cap flexibility moving forward. Russ even only has one more year on his deal and then you can kind of restructure everything. So the point is is why not pony up now for this one or two year window and understand that built continuing to build that Lakers brand of dominance is what allows you to charge what you do for tickets and charge and sell as much merchandise as you do and charge as much as you do for a TV deal and things along those lines. And, you know, I I use this example earlier, but let's say, let's say Trevor Ariza doesn't pan out. Like he just is washed. And let's say same goes for Carmelo. And the Lakers are playing small, and it's like, man, we really need a wing. And the buyout market's crap. Um, but, you know, Jimmy Butler gets hurt, and the Heat are tanking, and all of a sudden, P.J. Tucker's available. And his salary is $10 million a year or whatever. And it's like, man, we call up Miami, and they'll take Caruso and monk for for PJ Tucker, bam, now we have our front court depth back. You know, that kind of flexibility is gone without those intermediate salaries. And I'm just that's just a complete fabrication that I came up with, but I'm just giving an example of it was never as cut and dry as we don't need Alex because we have guards already coming. It was never as cut and dry as that's too much money for Alex. It was it was always Bring him back, keep the asset. Alex is a great player, even if he doesn't fit, you can move him and improve the team. Oh, and if you're concerned about Jeannie Buss's money, she just paid the luxury tax for the first time in like a decade uh, you know, or not a decade, but in in several years. Last year, she and 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 she's in a two year championship window here you know she can do this you know what i mean so that 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 kind of was was the part that i that got lost in it and once again you've got these yes men out there that are like god forbid you say anything negative about lebron or rob palenka or, or Jeannie bus you're being a hater you're being negative and it's like nah man like we're just being object objective observers and and that that the whole thing kind of bothered me
1: did you uh go ahead uh, I was going to say, like, yeah, it's, it's awful to lose him for nothing. You know what I mean? If it, it feels like a guy that's grown here, a guy that we've developed, like, you know, from the G League to, you know, being able to play spot minutes to being a starter on the last game in the finals. I think they knew what he meant. Like, I, I like that you said it's not as cut as dry as either of those because I think it's somewhere in the middle, right? Like, they kind of, they kind of looked at both sides here and they said that we can kind of they probably had these guards in their hand you know I'm um, not to get tampering rules or anything but they probably had some idea of like what kind of players they would get and kind of weighed that against you know what caruso is going to get with with chicago and kind of made that decision i disagree with it vehemently like i would have i wanted caruso back um i think he would be the best defensive guard on the team right now like just that's just how it would be he's been big in closing lineups but that's just how they felt and it, it sucks that that happened but that that is what it is. I would love him back. I think he's gonna. I think he needs to be with the other shot creators. I think him to Rosen and Levine is a really interesting kind of fit there. But um, but yeah, like that's that's the tough part of it. Doing the salary and the luxury tax stuff is all you know. That's all outside of kind of what I can kind of comment on. I could just see that. I'm just going from the basketball fit and and just with the way they built their roster, the time, the kind of team they had, they went with these scoring guards. You know, then that's the that they want to do and we'll see if it works it remains to be seen you know Lakers story is pretty high on all the moves here but um yeah it still remains to be seen if this was the right decision for sure i
0: think caruso is going to be great in chicago because they're not going to need him to create because of all the yeah. offensive talent they have on the roster he's basically going to be your fifth starter kind of like he was on the 2020 lakers in game six of the finals who's just asked to guard the other team's best player and do all of those things i think he's, he's gonna be great there um, and you know this is the last thing I'll say about the Alex Crusoe thing, and then we can be done. Um, the, the The rewriting of history of what he was in a Laker jersey has been absurd, and that has been the worst part of this whole saga. You've got these people out there that are trying. Like, it's like now, now he wasn't good. Uh, really? Yeah. Like he wasn't. He wasn't good. Like it. It, it just. It it bothers me like that you'd kick someone like that out the door just as a fan, you know, in general, especially for a player like that who is so you know immensely important. Like the Lakers' best lineups over the last two years were anything involving LeBron AD and Alex Caruso. Like it was literally that simple in terms of the way that uh, they performed oh, yeah. on the scoreboard in those minutes um but anyway i know i know you need to get out of here we're gonna uh we're gonna do another one of these here in a couple of days where we touch on a couple more laker topics after we've kind of marinated on things a little bit longer and then we're also gonna touch on some league-wide stuff and things that we liked uh uh, from the rest of free agency is there anything else you wanted to hit on today raj
1: uh no i think like uh, dennis costing himself 80 million (laughs) That's a really weird one, the The music's about to stop, man, and he needs a chair. Like the, the there's no seat yet for Dennis, which is really fascinating. I'm interested to see where that kind of goes here. Is there any teams with cap space left? The Knicks signed um, nobody. The Knicks
0: today. took Kemba. I think the Spurs have cap space, but I don't know why they would want Dennis because they went all in on young guys.
1: Dallas, maybe. I mean, I, I don't know. They're kind of getting Goran on Dragic. I get like I that it's it's definitely weird. Would you want him back as a six man? I guess we'll close with that. Would you want him back as the sixth man? I guess that's a bad look to lose Caruso. I guess and <laughs> then come bring, bring Dennis back. But like, what do you think of Dennis coming back as a sixth man? Which is probably probably awkward, probably really awkward. But um, what do you think of that as an option? Because the Lakers can resign him. They have his, I think, Bird rights if I remember correctly. So they can um, go over the cap and sign him. What do you think of him as a backup point guard? I guess we, we can cl- we can close with that.
0: If they bring him back, they'd have to trade him because there's going to be some bitterness involved here because of the fact that he had this $84 million offer that he turned down. Also, the Lakers do not need him anymore. They flat out do not need him. Uh playing some him, some
1: humbleness? Maybe some humbleness?
0: Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, but here's the thing. Dennis Schroeder on like a three-year $30 million contract is a huge asset or a yeah. 2 year 2 year 20 million dollar contract, 2 year 25 million dollar contract, something along those lines. So, you know, if you're Dennis, you have two options. You can sign with someone like the Warriors on a mid-level exception, on like basically a prove it deal and and hope that you just have a great season and that it allows you to recalibrate in a year where there's more cap space. Or two, you sign with the Lakers on some sort of 3 year 30 million type of deal. And then uh, essentially have an under the table agreement that you're going to get traded because the Lakers should not bring him back to use him. There's no real point there. It it clashes with their current identity. And quite frankly, I want to see more Monk and 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 Nunn running those backup uh, guard lineups. I, I don't – and Talon Horton Tucker. We didn't talk too much about Talon Horton Tucker today, but, like, I think he could end up starting uh, and or being a sixth man. And so there's just no real purpose to Dennis on this team other than as an asset. And so there's a mutual relationship there where it's like, we'll give you some money to make up for this money that you lost – but we're gonna trade you to maybe we'll trade you to where you want to go if that's the deal or whatever it is. But that that would be the 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 only kind of real resolution here. For I I don't think there's any chance he gets close to what he was originally asking for.
1: Yeah, uh, probably not. You talked a lot about you talked about how like people were kind of um, not lying but like saying what Caruso wasn't I guess or was. I think Shooter's going through that as well. Kind of this kick out the door. He was better than like he was not a bad player on the team this year. Like we don't need to do that. Like he struggled in the playoffs. He had some the end of the year wasn't good, but he was a solid player on a team that was when they a offered lot him eighty four. He deserved it at that time. He, exactly, yeah. So that's the that's the part that we don't need to do. He had a better season than we thought. He's not a bad player at all. He's a serviceable point guard. He's probably a backup who's uh, you know underqualified starter like that's how i would say dennis Schroeder is and that's fine that's a good player that's a 10 million dollar player that's an mle player all of that maybe even 20 million on a team that can you know keep him that can afford him but um yeah that's where i'm kind of at with him And it's interesting that this has played out kind of uh kind of this way i forgot who else also is unsigned um another guy uh but uh, but yeah, and Andre Drummond obviously went for the minimum. Kelly, and, uh, Kelly
0: Oubre is another guy who was le- guy. Uh, d- uh, left is basically looking for money and role out there that none of the NBA teams are willing to offer him. Yeah. Um, but you brought up musical chairs, which is an interesting comparison because Bill Simmons said this on his podcast a few days ago. It's like there were five really good point guards that wanted to get paid this summer and two teams looking for point guards at that price range, the Miami Heat and the uh, uh, Chicago Bulls. And so guess what Lonzo ball and Kyle Lowry got the money and everyone else is screwed. And that's just kind of how it goes. Like even Kemba Walker, we can safely assume signed for like 7 million uh, because of the uh, 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 that's how much cap space the Knicks had. I I don't know. I Mm. haven't seen the details yet, but I'll be interested to see what it is. But anyway, I'm with you. I think Dennis was a lot better than people remember and I genuinely feel bad for him, uh, but he got some bad advice uh, when he got that $84 million contract, he should have jumped on that so fast. It wasn't even, fu- right not even funny. And uh, and I feel bad for him, but it, it is what it is. And, and hopefully he goes out next year and has a great year and gets himself paid the next summer, just not as a Laker, because I don't think he makes any more sense there. But anyway, thank you guys so much for hanging out with us today. Um, like I said, uh, Raj and I just wanted to give our kind of – 30,000 foot view of all this stuff. Cause there's still a lot of tape to watch and a lot of lineups to consider and a lot of details to really marinate on. Uh, and then we want to talk about some league wide stuff. So we'll touch base maybe either Friday or early next week. Uh, but thanks again, guys, for your support as always, and we will see you next time. Thanks everyone.